Today, I'd like you to turn with me to the sixth chapter of the book of Acts. Pastor Connie goes in a surprising direction when talking about the early church's first forays into distributing leadership. It has some profound implications on our work for justice. Let's listen together. What happened to your home during the pandemic? I ask because the function and use of our homes has changed quite a bit in the past year. On the one hand, our homes have become our offices, our school rooms, our hospital sick rooms, our bakeries, our craft uh, corners, our hobby lobbies. And on the other hand, our homes have lost the function of hospitality, that of having people over, of a place of socialization, of being the celebratory event venue. Different functions required reshuffling, reconfiguring, and repurposing. And many people found that their homes suffered for it. Clutter and disorder increased exponentially. Why clean the living room when no one else was going to see it? But others took advantage of the time to reset, to clean out clutter, to reorganize neatly. Being stuck at home made people open their eyes to their surroundings, depressing some and activating others. Some humans have very strong organizational genes, but they say it skips a generation. At least that's what I tell my mom and my daughters. Many industries fared poorly in the pandemic, but the organizational industry apparently did very well in this past year. We are in a sermon series entitled The Newborn Church in which we have been looking at the book of Acts to see how the church had its beginnings so that we at ABC can use their learning curve to spur us forward in our own growth. And today we come to organization and institutionalization. How and why did the first church organize itself in their time of massive change? What we can learn from them is critical to us because we likewise are in a time of massive change. At ABC, we are on the path to reorganization for the purposes of revitalization, and we need all the help we can get. We have a very early on description of a problem in Acts chapter 6 that we're going to look at now. This is a problem in dire need of an organizational solution. Verse 1. Now during those days when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Now the Hellenists were the Greek-speaking Jews of the diaspora. They had not grown up in Israel. They were somewhat culturally and linguistically different than the Hebrew-speaking Jews. And yet both groups were Jewish, and now both groups were Christians. And the way that seniors who were unable to work, and widows specifically who were barred and forbidden from many avenues for financial independence, the way Jewish society took care of them was through biological family. The children took care of the parents. It was their social security system. But the new church expanded this practice far beyond the duty of the biological family, any new believer was a brother and sister in Christ and was in, 
enfolded into the family of God, and therefore they were all collectively responsible for all of their elders. A serious problem arose was that was discrimination or the practice of favorites based on cultural background. And that just was not right. Prejudice had the potential to be planted in this newborn church and grow ugly roots. So verse two, and the 12 called together the whole community of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. And the word there to wait on tables is diakonia, what we get our English word deacon from. Verse three, therefore friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. And again, the word there, serving, is that Greek word diakonia. The focus may be a little different, but one serves the food, the another serves the word, but the role is the same. Verse 5, what they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to spread. The number of disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem. Seven men were chosen for this deaconing leadership to take care of the embedded problem of injustice. Some of them had Jewish names and some of them had Greek names. And this was genius because the problem had come as a result of Jewish blinders. So they needed the Hellenist leadership in order to be able to see more, more clearly. Was there a vote? Who put the names forward? We're not really told the details, but from this account, we see that the whole community was involved in the process of choosing these first deacons of the new church. While their function is deaconing or serving, we're not sure what their official role uh, title was. Today's American church and Altadena Baptist Church in particular is being forced to reckon with huge injustices that have been planted into our social order centuries ago. To the extent that now the roots of these injustices are everywhere. Injustices that many people in the church have been blind to. And I'm talking about racial equity, which we as a church have been intentional about for decades now. And still there is work to do in our congregation and in our community. And secondly, the injustice we personally have only started dealing with um, just in the last five years really seriously, the discrimination and hatred of the LGBTQ plus community, which causes them to see the church not as a safe place for themselves in order to be themselves. The church has a problem when a whole community feels unsafe in it. The opposite should be true. The church is a place where injustice should be dealt with. 
because God is a God of justice. It's a place where we need to say most loudly, this is wrong. What's going on in the treatment of these people groups is wrong. It's a place where we need to say the kingdom of God is diametrically opposed to our social order, to the way we naturally think and behave, to the status quo. And we choose the kingdom of God. And for that, we need organization. We need diverse leadership, power sharing leadership to take us to the places where we may not want to go. And by we, I always mean the we that profits from the status quo, that is comfortable with the way things are, that doesn't see a problem because it has not personally affected us. For the black and the LGBTQ plus communities, the intentionality to tackle these injustices must feel like too little too late. So the church has to have uncomfortable conversations. We must face the truth that we have failed. They, those communities, would have loved the church to have sorted it out centuries ago. And just imagine for a minute who we would be as a church if these things, these injustices, hadn't grown roots. Well, now we've got to deal with those insidious roots. What if the first church got defensive? What if they said, you're imagining a problem that doesn't exist? It is really, really hard to admit that you've been unjust when you hadn't intended to be unjust, when you can afford to see, to not look at the problem because it doesn't touch you. It's easy to minimize the problem, to shift it to others to deal with. It's easier, so much easier to be in denial. So here is where we see that organization is helpful to provide needed, power-sharing, diverse leadership to tackle problems, to work for change, and to strive for justice. And furthermore, I don't know if you noticed in our passage, the spiritual qualifications of that leadership is very, very important. We can see that the problem in Acts 6 was not a food problem. It was an equity problem. These men didn't have to be good cooks or good waiters, but they did have to be full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. And this is exactly why the church is the place where injustices can be tackled. Our solid hope is not that we can fix an entrenched problem that has gone on forever, not that we have the power in ourselves and the wisdom to solve naughty problems. Our hope is that Jesus can. Jesus is the one who transforms hearts and Jesus can and does transform whole communities. This was the lived experience of the newborn church. So the leadership does not rest on their skills or on their learning. They rest on the Holy Spirit to convict and to move. They lean on Jesus to forgive, to renew, to reform. They trust in Jesus who gives life instead of death. They trust in Jesus who gives love instead of apathy. I bet you thought I was going to say instead of hate. 
well, Jesus can do that too. But a much bigger problem in the church today is apathy. And the whole community is involved. The problem has affected all of them. So being together side by side, the Hellenists and the Hebrews, the LGBTQ and cisgendered, black and white, it's critical. If one side withdraws, there is no transformation. The love of Jesus must touch them all. Well, we see strains of organizational activity throughout the book of Acts, so we're not given too many particulars. Missionaries are prayed over and sent out from local bodies after fasting and praying and laying on of hands. They were accountable to the apostles and the elders back in Jerusalem. They were called back to answer for the thorny theological problem of whether Gentile Christians had to follow Jewish law. Councils and assemblies were formed. Arguments were debated on both sides. Decisions were made. You can read all about that in chapter 15. Offerings and outlaying churches were collected for the church in Jerusalem, which was facing hardship. Everywhere missionaries went, they planted churches with their own indigenous leadership in place when the missionaries had to leave. Organization is everywhere in the book of Acts. Organization, organization in the church is necessary for progress, for leadership and succession, for connections between the church bodies that are scattered geographically, for the sending out of missionaries, for pinpointing problems, for airing them out, for solving them. Organizational is wonderful until, of course, it isn't. The problem with organizations is that they tend to stiffen into inflexible institutions, which, with the passage of time, do not meet the changing needs of their time. Organizations inevitably struggle with change. The institutionalized ones become increasingly concerned with preservation, history, tradition, which focuses them backwards rather than forwards. Now, I'm a huge believer in the importance of history. We must know where we came from. We must know the minefields and the struggles of those who came before us so as to not repeat the mistakes of the past. But when history or tradition becomes the end goal, when we must do things in this way because this is how it's always been done, then we lose sight of the mission of the church. The overarching mission of every church that follows Jesus is to preach the gospel to all nations and make disciples of Jesus. Do you know ABC's way of doing that? ABC's personal mission statement is, Together we seek to grow in Christ, cherish every person, live the word. And every one of those words was chosen with care, starting with the word together. In order for us to fulfill our mission, we will have to be organized, but always bearing in mind that organization must drive to its mission. And the mission of the church 
always puts people first, both the people inside the church and those on the outside. The point of organization in the business world is efficiency, but not in the church. People are always more important than, infic than efficiency. People are always more important than rules. People are more important than the institution. In the Me Too era, we have too many examples of churches who put their institution above victims. Therefore, church organization must have love of people at its core, which often results in it being less efficient because you know how we are, we people. This brings me to my next point. The mission stays constant, but the way we accomplish it doesn't. The organization of the church must be culturally appropriate. Going back to the choosing of the seven in Acts 6, we have to ask ourselves, why seven? Well, seven is a very important number in Jewish thinking. It has a lot of significance in that culture. It's the number that symbolizes perfection and completion, having received its significance from the seven days of creation. If the first church was started in China, very likely the number of deacons chosen would have been eight because that's an auspicious number in Chinese thinking. Sometimes our cultural assumptions of how things must be done can trip us up and in fact blind us to the bigger scope of what can be done in the name of Jesus. We see this in chapter one of Acts before the arrival of the Holy Spirit. The believers had been instructed to go to Jerusalem and wait. They spent much of that time praying, but they also had time for a business meeting. Acts chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Together, the crowd numbered about 120 persons and said, Friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now Judas was a problem. Jesus had chosen him as one of the 12 disciples, but he had betrayed Jesus. If Jesus really was the son of God, wouldn't he have known about Judas's character? Oh yes, this is all a fulfillment of scripture, Peter says. But now there's another problem. Now we're only 11. This cannot be, this cannot stand, this is not proper. We must be 12. Verse 21, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the 11 apostles. 
we normally visual, visualize a band of 13 men, Jesus and the 12, wandering from place to place for three years. But in actuality, it was always much more than 13. Remember the 72 disciples that Jesus sent out in pairs in Luke chapter 10 uh, to go to all the places in advance where he had planned to visit? And yet, the 12 received prominence. The number 12 was symbolically important, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And notice that the 12, well, they're 11 now, after the resurrection of Jesus, have been elevated from disciples, as they are called in the Gospels, to apostles now in the book of Acts. Their leadership title changed. They all got a promotion. Well, we need to have 12 apostles, Peter, Peter declares, and no one questions it, because culturally, 12 was a proper bounded set. Okay, well then what about choosing one of the women who faithfully accompanied Jesus, who was who, one of the women who was the first witness to the resurrection? What about one, one of the women who gave up their money to provide for all the followers of Jesus, who proved their devotion and proved their worth as exemplary followers of Jesus? Oh no, women can't be apostles. Everybody knows that. It wasn't even a question. So they chose Matthias as the 12th apostle. Who? Matthias is never again mentioned in the New Testament. We do have mentions of Matthias in Christian tradition centuries later. Some people think he was Zacchaeus. Others thought he was Barnabas. Still others thought he was Nathaniel. Some tra traditions have him planting faith in Cappadocia or what is now Turkey. Others mention Ethiopia, others in what is Georgia, north of Turkey. Some have him dying a martyr's death by stoning, buried in Jerusalem, buried in Ethiopia, buried in Georgia. Other traditions have him dying of old age. It's just a potpourri. And even though we know next to nothing about Matthias, I'm sure he had a fruitful ministry fulfilling his office of apostleship well. But what about Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice? He also is not mentioned again in the New Testament. But tradition has it that he was the bishop of Eleutheropolis, now in modern-day Syria, where he died a martyr's death. As a semi-finalist to the promotion of apostle, someone who had all the qualifications, someone who followed Jesus faithfully and was himself a witness, to the resurrection, he would have obviously continued following his Lord, working for his Lord, regardless of title or position. And so it has been that when the organization draws its cultural lines that leave some people out and rewards other people, followers of Jesus have been faithful to their calling regardless of the church's endorsement. God does his work, we hope, within our organization. But if we draw the lines wrong, God is active outside of those lines. And so, for example, women have always taught and preached and made disciples, most often without the title or recognition. But even in the restrictive beginnings of the church, we have Phoebe the deacon and Priscilla the teacher and co-worker of Paul and Junia the apostle. 
women with actual titles. Organizationally, the lines were drawn to exclude them, but they did work, and Paul did recognize them. Someone reorganized the church kitchen, and they moved the equal. I found this out when I was desperately trying to finish my sermon. I was feeling behind as usual. I just ran down to the church kitchen to grab a packet of equal for my tea and ended up hunting and searching instead for a long time. It must have been all of one or two minutes before I found the new place for the equal. And I don't think you're getting what a big deal this is. I am saying that the equal was not right there where I could put my hand on it, where it has been for years, and it caused me anger and aggravation and frustration. It was change that I was not ready for, and I did not want to deal with it right then. I had much more important things to do. Do you feel my pain? The Lord is good. This happened to me as I was thinking through the conclusion of this sermon. What's the point of it all? What are we at ABC challenged to do as a result of studying the first church? And I had to humble my heart and thank the Lord for whoever it was who reorganized the kitchen out of the goodness of their heart and thank the Lord for this very personal small microcosm lesson in reorganization and change. And admit that this is a lesson that I will have to relearn many, many times, I'm sure. ABC is in a time of reorganizing for the purpose of revitalizing. For the purpose of loving people that the American church has not loved very well for the purpose of the kingdom of God on earth. It has been and it will continue to be uncomfortable. We will find ourselves angry, aggra aggravated, frustrated with change when the way we have organized ourselves before must change. And I'm asking you then in that emotionally fraught space to recommit yourself to the work that God has called us to do so that when someone moves the equal again, I'm speaking metaphorically now, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to look at people, not rules. I'm going to love them in a way that brings the kingdom of God near to them. And I'm going to rely, I'm going to lean my whole weight on the Holy Spirit and ask for the Spirit's wisdom to move forward into change that might scare me. I'm going to rely on Jesus to change my heart and to change our church. And I invite you on that journey. It's going to be good. Let's bow our heads in prayer.
Jesus, draw us nearer to you. Draw us nearer to each other. And draw us nearer to people who do not yet know you, who need your love, who are longing, longing for your kingdom, even when they don't know that's what they want. Give us wisdom, ever so much wisdom. Give us extra doses of the Holy Spirit's inspiration. Fill us up with your Holy Spirit. Give us the ability to have hard conversations, to face what we must not ignore, to be united as we do across lines that our society has drawn for us. We invite you to build your body here at ABC, to reorganize us, to revitalize us, and to start in me, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. And now for the benediction. To the God who by the power that is at work within us, the Holy Spirit power, is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine. To him be the glory in the church at Altadena Baptist Church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. As always, we'd like to invite you for this season to join us online at altadenabaptist.org or our public YouTube page every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. for remote worship. All events are suspended right now, but if you need prayer, please reach out to us at altabapprayer at aol.com. And again, we pray God's blessings on you this week.